I'm Robert Arari. I'm Salvatesh. It's Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. And welcome back to Casual Poor. How you doing today? I am good. I have been quarantining for enough time now where it was safe for me to start to spend some time with my family. That's good. That's so that's that good for good. you. That's my I feel I feel that. I feel that in my heart. Yeah, being wholesome, spending some time with family, being, you know, a good good kid. Good wow, kid. sounds like the beginning of a great Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the show, guys, where we have a drink and talk about everything that's going on in the world of business, media, and tech. And then as always, have another drink with someone impactful in their industry. We drink a lot on the show. We talk a lot on the show. Welcome back. What are we talking about this week? Yes. On the show today, we're going to talk about Zoom and Facebook. Facebook is now coming out with a quote-unquote Zoom competitor. We're also going to talk about Amazon possibly becoming a $2 trillion company. And in broader terms, are these companies just way, way, way too big? Then we're going to talk to Nina Stepanov for our casual call-ins. Uh, she is a principal at Accelerprise, a accelerator uh, with offices not only in New York, but also startups from around the world. They've launched some incredible companies out of their program. Uh, and then after we talk with Nina, we're also going to talk with uh, Amir Tarani, who's the head of a D2C brand. A lot of you guys know how we feel about D2C companies, yes. but Amir's company has been fucking crushing it. Company called Our Place, D2C kitchenware company, exploding through coronavirus, but in general doing a really good job at what they're doing. And then for the main interview, we're going to sit down, do a Zoom call with Josh Bonotal, VP of Operations at Future Fit. A crazy, crazy innovative company that totally wants to change the way you work out. Um, it's the company's incredible, and I'm just super interested to hear what he has to say about the future of fitness, the future of what Future's doing, and how they're dealing with Corona. It's easy to get fat sitting at home. It's, it is easy doing nothing all day. Uh, future Fit is hoping to change that through coronavirus. So yes, that should be super cool and. I've known Josh for a little while. Josh is a really, really interesting and really cool guy. So you guys are going to love him. We love him. And yeah. So let's jump into the topics. So I'll start us off. Zoom. Facebook. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember, slight little lawsuit between uh, what was going on with Facebook and Zoom. Facebook was taking some info from uh, Zoom users. Very interesting. This is a different kind of headline. Facebook is actually coming out with a kind of a Zoom competitor. Um, I mean, Zoom does a lot of great things. Their claim to fame is that you can have 100 people in a video chat at once. Facebook is coming out with one with 50 people at once, and that's just the beginning. So, Robert, what are your thoughts on that? Fucking Facebook. I mean, it's just like, don't be so shameless about it. Like, like at least have some class and some subtlety if you're going to copy people. Like I remember when they created Instagram stories in response to Snapchat stories. Oh my God. The CEO of Instagram was literally just like, yeah, we totally copied Snapchat. Like, <laughs> it's fucking insane. So Facebook has no, I mean, rem this is not like Facebook's first time doing this, right? Instagram stories. Does everyone, do you remember time hop? Of course. Remember time hop? It would show you like, your tweets and your posts from a few years ago and all that other shit. Now, Facebook has on this day, 
right? Where they show you what you posted on Facebook. They show you what you posted on Instagram, who you're with every single day. I have like, you have memories with blah, blah, blah from that day. And it's like, I, so th- this is just like another example of them taking something that's starting to pick up steam and just cannibalizing. That's what they do. Completely. Honestly, if you look back other than Instagram's, even before they copied Snap Stories for Instagram, they tried to do it in a separate app. I think they tried to do it in two separate apps and they both failed till they just Yuck. gave, yeah, till they just gave up and mer- put it into Instagram. Facebook's luck copying other companies is, it, it rarely works out. I mean, they, they're trying to, they're trying to be a Tinder and Hinge competitor. And, and I, I personally don't know anybody that uses Facebook dating. So. Yeah. I mean, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to capitalize on the younger and younger generations because like, I mean, if you like, you know, when we interviewed like Roan Winch or we interviewed like Louis Sweet or any of these other, I mean, yeah. NASCAR interns, right? They don't have Facebook accounts. Like our demographic, yours and mine sell, 22 year olds, we are really at like the youngest of youngest end of who it's has a so Facebook true. account. So I can understand like, yeah, we want to start to get these younger people onto these things. But the way to do that is by buying up apps like, Instagram, like they've been doing that, that makes more sense to me than trying to like copy features from successful apps and then trying to integrate them into these things in weird, unsuccessful and unnatural ways. I agree. Listen, big companies can do a lot of things, but there's a reason why small companies become large companies. You can't as a company just focus on every single little thing going on and try to be a competitor to everyone. If Facebook decided to put all their resources to building a Zoom competitor, they probably they probably would, but that's not their main business, right? So there's still there's still a lot of hope in smaller companies doing their thing really well and building it up slowly to the point where maybe they can compete with a bigger company. Why are you trying to get people to move from setting up Zoom meetings to going all onto Facebook? Chances are a lot of this isn't even your target demographic. I True. mean, if you look at who's using Zoom right now, it's basically businesses and Gen Z, right, are starting to use these things. I could understand it. For their core demographic, which is like Gen X and boomers, right? And half of millennials. But Facebook needs to stop trying to use their features to get these markets that other people already own just by copying existing companies that are doing it. I can understand like buy existing companies, let them have their own corporate strategy, their own product pipeline that's dedicated to their audience and their own demographic. Go for it. Great. Beautiful. But don't try to use your own features or at least copy other people play them as your own features, and then pretend like that's going to get you these users. It's just not. And it feels unnatural, and it just makes Facebook look like the big, bad, behemoth, bad guy that they end up looking like. Honestly, at this point, I don't think they care about being the big, bad guy. That's what they've been doing for a while. Um, not you know, not throwing any shade at Facebook. I, I use their products all the time, and I'm a big fan of Mark Zuckerberg. That's not the point. All right. What are your thoughts on big business, big companies um, having just too much power today. And let's just say we're not lawyers, okay? We are not debating the legality of antitrust laws. We're just, you know, we're, we're, we're business guys. We're just having a conversation about it. Don't like go in the comments and start saying, oh, you know, did you see ACT? The, the, this act 13.1.3 of the, <laughs> yeah. And, and if it exists, no, we didn't see it. Look again. Yeah. We are not the legal experts here. The legal experts have enough trouble defining what is a monopoly today. You could look at all the conversations between the DOJ, 
and Facebook, the DOJ and Amazon, the DOJ and Google, et cetera. They're already still working that out. That legal opinion will come out at some point, but that point is not happening here on Casual Poor. This is the question of should it just be happening from like an ethical perspective and from a business perspective and from a consumer perspective. And as a consumer, I could tell you, I don't really mind that Amazon is massive, right? Bringing this into Amazon being a $2 trillion company, I don't mind that Amazon is massive. They have delighted me as a customer. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they have. Same day yeah. delivery, anything you want, whenever you want, unbelievable customer service, what, what's not to like. Exactly. And by the way, right, I, my father and I were just talking about this. One thing he just mentioned to me is that since Amazon has started to do, since Amazon has made their logistics so much better, the U.S. Postal Service, right, is now delivering on Sundays. Yes. They're trying to compete too. Yeah. So we are making government even better by introducing these competitors that delight consumers. If you're harming the consumer, then you have a problem, right? So you, you could look at like U.S. Steel as like the famous monopoly, right? And, uh, you know, they're price gouging. They were price gouging. First, they drove down the price like crazy so that nobody could compete with them, which was step one. Right. Right. Then they drove up the price like crazy once they owned enough of the market where it was impossible to compete with them. For a few reasons, I don't think that's the case anymore. One, I don't see any big tech companies really doing that to us. I think the reason that big tech companies are as big as they are is because they're using their tech, they're using their data to make their customer experiences better, not just to make their business better. Again, same day delivery is a great example, but also having data on us to understand what we like to see and integrating that into Amazon Prime and the content that they create. Beautiful, right? Creates better content on the other side. All these things are fine. It's just a different world. I mean, the last antitrust case, big antitrust case, wasn't was Microsoft um, a couple of years ago, uh, mm -hmm. mid mid to late nineties, um, because they were basically shipping Internet Explorer and only Internet Explorer, and they weren't giving any other browsers a chance to compete, um, and that wasn't great for the consumer, right? And yeah. uh, if you look back, it's funny. Like if you look at Bill Gates and the uh, in the deposition room, he's just like so dismissive of this whole thing. This is before they even brought the case. Like they were just deposing him. He was mm -hmm. just he was like sipping his can of soda and belittling them. And the uh, the antitrust lawyers for the for the U.S. government basically showed <laughs> showed the judge the clips of Bill Gates talking in the deposition and the judge was like, you, you lost me. This is horrible. Anyway, that's just a side point. But if you look at antitrust, antitrust, again, meaning those big giant companies over the years, kind of the late 1800s, early 1900s, antitrust cases were like huge. Government didn't want anyone competing with anyone. Any, well, that any, was Teddy Roosevelt and yeah. uh, William Taft. They were like that was their big thing. So. Yeah, like they didn't want any big business. They wanted total, total even. And then World War One hit, and there was just a, a, a less of a, less caring, in I guess in society and in government in general. And then it came back, and then you had the big breakup of AT and T, right? Yep, the baby bells. Yeah. So it was kind of like a wave. And then the past forty years, I guess, with the exception of of Microsoft really, you haven't really had a crazy, this company's huge, let's break them up, let's let's turn them down, because I think it's a little bit different, because now it's really focused, like you said, on is the consumer getting all the value? Because if the consumer is not getting 
the right choice or the right value, then you break them up. You can't break these big internet companies. They're so big. And the problem is so many companies run on these internet platforms. People run their business on Instagram. They run their businesses on Google. They definitely run their businesses on Amazon. The problem is a lot of times these big companies take advantage of the little guy using their platform. They're not even businesses at this point, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. They're like, they're like countries and governments on their own. So they mm-hmm. need to, they're, they're, I, I personally think there needs to be some accountability for how they take care of the smaller guys on their platforms, where they give them just as much a chance as they can if they wanted to start a new, you know, a new service within their service. I do agree with that part of it, right? If we're saying like specifically, I mean, to put that into like more real life terms, like Amazon picking who is the top performer in one specific market and then just releasing like their own Amazon brand version of that. Yeah. And knocking yeah. the best. It's, it's happened. It's, it's happened to us before. It's, it's happened to a lot of consumer goods companies. Amazon just comes in and it, you know what? You know why it's not even fair because that's like. 0.001% of Amazon's revenue to go copy someone else's product and ship it. I mean, really. It's betraying the reason that they used your site. Right. As one of these major companies, you have a massive responsibility. Right. Especially if you're building your business as a marketplace, which only existed because so many businesses came to you for empowerment. And that was what your business was built on in the beginning, Amazon being logistics and easy discovery and things like that. If you're betraying that, you have a massive problem on your hands and that's unethical business practice. Agreed. But I don't think that there's anything inherently unethical about these platforms existing or even being as big as they are in the first place. I think the right thing to do is to just watch and make sure that they're not taking advantage. I mean, look, Yelp is a big Google hater. They Yelp hates Google because Google really has a similar service to Yelp, which is Google Maps. And Yelp's claim is basically that Google doesn't give them top of the top when you search for something. It's putting Yelp basically three links down, which everybody knows, you know, if I can get my info from the from the top of the list, I'm going to go after that first. Bottom line There is nothing wrong with being a massively large company by having the perfect product market fit and delighted users and customers in an amazing community. There is nothing wrong with it. The second that you start abusing your power as one of these major businesses to make it impossible for the same businesses that empowered you to get there to be able to continue to exist so that you can continue to grow, that's when you have your problem. That's Amazon taking over the top products on any one of their product SKUs, I mean, any one of their verticals and releasing their own Amazon version of that. That's Google knocking down Yelp so that Google can continue to, you know, push Google reviews. That's that's Apple, right? Hmm. Making it incredibly difficult to integrate and use Spotify with different Apple apps so that they could push Apple Music. That is when things get wrong. But there is nothing wrong with being a massively large company if you're doing it for the right reasons and you're using your power correct. I agree. I, I, I actually, I haven't heard anyone make this argument. I, I, think, um, I think we should get in touch with the top antitrust lawyers in the country and 
really, really just send them this episode. And then just have them send us Article 13.31 of Act, blah, 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 and da, 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 and just tear everything we're saying apart. Yeah, maybe it's better if we don't, because I'm, I'm feeling yeah. good about the, uh, the, uh, the argument there. Yeah. Nice transition, by the way, using Yelp there. Uh, we're calling in with Nina Stepanov. Um, today, Nina tweeted about uh, how Instagram could launch a Yelp competitor if they wanted to. I think this one could be interesting. Let's, um, let's call in Nina and let's move on to casual calls. Cool. All right. And now we are zooming in with Nina Stepanov. Nina uh, is a principal at Excelprise, or as she says on her Twitter, stuff at Excelprise. <laughs> Nina, how are you, um, how are you coping with being home i hate this question <laughs> terribly <laughs> just absolutely terribly that's the anybody most honest you? answer we've gotten so far on the show <laughs> anybody so anybody happy. who says okay so actually quick funny story the other day i was trying to explain so my my partner is an introvert mm-hmm. and i am an extrovert and he <laughs> i was trying to explain to him i was like i'm having a really hard time with this experience this is like a couple of weeks into the whole thing and i sh- am i allowed to curse on this yes oh, absolutely yeah. oh. okay i shit you not he looks at me in the eyes and he goes you know it's kind of funny like the whole world is built around extroverts and right now you guys are screwed like, <laughs> <laughs> excuse I love, I love me introverts prime time right now he that. literally roasted me. I'm like over here on the verge of tears because I can't talk to anybody. And he's like, yo, well, sucks to suck. So anyways, I'm doing terribly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's fine. Um, I've been forced to discover hobbies that I never wanted to have in the first place. Um, like reading. <laughs> <laughs> like reading and, and you know. And doing walking, my, doing doing my exercise. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like managing my inbox. I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, look, it's uh it is I'm you know, you're you're we're doing what we're supposed to do. I feel like, you know, if there this is like the equivalent, this is probably a hot take and maybe shouldn't get published, but uh if there was ever like this is our this is our generation's version of a draft. Like you don't have to go to war, you just have to stay in your fucking house. Yep. <laughs> like, that is so well said. I love that. <laughs> so that's what i feel like right now it's like no one's happy about it nobody really wants to do it we're like all right fine like meanwhile everyone everyone who thinks they're funny on instagram and shit and twitter and shit is just like oh my god i never want to leave my house i just want to sit on my couch all day well now we fucking got it yeah so (laughs) like congratulations yeah yeah (laughs) well okay the worst part really quickly and i feel terrible about this and hopefully i'll maybe i'll send this to her specifically but maybe i won't she, a friend of mine, um, had, she had called me, I think, or maybe like messaged me. I can't remember. It was like some medium through which I like had to respond immediately. Um, and she was like, oh, do you want to join like a Zoom, like dance class or this is like week two, maybe. Mm-hmm. She's like, do you want to do this? Do you want to do like a city bike ride? And I was like, literally in bed. <laughs> it was probably like noon. I was like, dude, no, like not at all. Not like I don't, I don't want to do any of those things. And it's not because it's you. It's not because it would like, I just, I don't want to talk to anybody and I don't want to do anything. It's not you. Sucks. It's me. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing, uh, just kind of how stuff changes. Like 
you know, we, I think we were due for a correction in some ways. We're in the middle of a conversation right now about huge tech companies basically being able to use their product and their network and their user count to basically cannibalize on any other company's business um, as they start to come to prominence. I mean, that's clear right now with Facebook launching a Zoom competitor. I mean, you've seen it in Amazon doing it with, you know, fucking anything that seems semi-competitive. Everything, basically. Yeah. Everything. They're like, oh, you're, you're doing something. Oh, you're doing well. Let me just, let me just take it from you. Exactly. Assholes. You were talking about how Instagram, which I thought was super interesting, how Instagram could launch a competitor, a pretty formidable competitor to Yelp. I wanted to talk to you about that and expand on For that sure. just a little bit on the show. Yeah. Okay. I'll explain where the thought came from and then we can talk about the broader subject. So last night in what feels now like a desperate attempt at eating a good burger, um, my boyfriend and I ordered, it's literally called the burger joint. Like with I a love D- that name. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the it's most so New York good. thing on the planet. It's like within walking distance. It's this cool spot. Um, it's actually, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's super, super kitschy. So whatever the point, it doesn't matter. The point is I'm like even sad that I'm admitting um, that I ate this food, but I was looking up like places to eat and I was like, Oh, we could, we could do like Ruth's Chris. They're doing like a cool prefix. And I was looking through all these places. I was like on caviar and this and that. And I realized that like the one consistent thing that I was doing over and over again was going to Instagram. Like I kept looking mm. up a place and going to Instagram, looking at a place, going to Instagram. And like, maybe like the other function, other functions happening around it were like, somehow different like I would call one place or I don't know check their website so it kind of varied but that was like the one consistent thread and I was like this is interesting um and then I just had this thought I was like they're so and I realized that like I've been doing that the entire quarantine because the one spot where uh the data or like the information is most up to date is Instagram you know, companies are not, or whatever, restaurants and, and cocktail bars, like everything, like anything that sells anything, they're all updating in our Instagram. They're not updating Google. They're not like, some of them aren't even keeping the delivery apps up to date. Um, mm. But they're all keeping their, their Instagrams up to date and they're posting stories and people are reposting and all this different stuff. I think I've followed more restaurants in the last two weeks than anything ever like yeah. I just followed so so many um so yeah so that thought came to mind because I feel like they have all the makings right they have the photos they have like their own content and user submitted content they have likes they have comments like you could just plug in some smart natural language processing and you wouldn't even need a rating system you could just use the words and sentiment analysis that people are posting comments with to say like mm. how good or not good a restaurant is you could understand like there's so there's so much data there that to me felt, I don't know. And it's more natural. Like people don't, have you ever had a business on Google? Like it's a shit show. It's the most confusing system on the planet. And they're constantly bothering you. Instagram just like makes sense. It's just, people already use it. It's, it's a, it's a good channel to like promote your business on. Anyway. So whatever, I'll stop talking. The point is it made a ton of sense to me in the moment. And then apparently they added a button. This is, this is the sad ending to this is they added a button to Instagram. that I believe takes you to their ordering page. First of all, like you have to be a very specific kind of person to write a Yelp review. Whereas like, <laughs> you, know, yes. you, guys, you yes. guys feel really strongly in like one direction or another. about And have not much else to do. 
Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. By the way, every single company that could has tried to eat Yelp's lunch. No pun intended. But it's true. No, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So pun intended. So, yeah, that, great it pun. Was, it, I promise you it was not. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll own that one. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I, I think like one, I, I mean, also, frankly speaking, like if we're going to pick on Yelp, which I would love to, um, <laughs> I think so many companies have tried in varying degrees with varying degrees of success, companies have tried to steal some of the thunder that Yelp has, like Infatuation has reviews. It feels like some of the best apps and like tech experiences are always happening or like often happening, not as the primary use for that thing, which I think in some ways indicates just like that a product is good, that it can be very well positioned to be used by a completely different use case. So with Instagram, I just feel like it's not that surprising that it has like this very great application because they've done a phenomenal job. Like, you know, some of the best technology is like, it's a data layer. It's like, how can you get really high quality data that you can then use to unlock another opportunity? So it's not surprising. Like this isn't a hot, my concept on Instagram is not a hot take, (laughs) clearly. (laughs) Well, I love the concept. Nina, you and I, I think we could talk for hours and we want to save it for when you have when we have our formal interview, yes. but we want to shoot the shit with you next time on Casual Pour. But in the meantime, thank you so much for calling in. This has yes. been amazing. Thank you. Thanks, Nina. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to get on the phone with Amir Tarani, CEO and co-founder at Our Place. Um, he runs a DTC kitchenware company. We're going to talk more about kind of how he's dealing with this whole thing. So let's get him on the phone. Hey, Amir. Hey, guys. Great to connect. Hey, man. How's it going? Doing well. Doing well. Thanks for having me on. I want to really ask how you're adapting your company um, to the to coronavirus and how you're keeping up with demand. Um, I, I know your category is, is doing extremely well, and I'm sure you guys are doing extremely well, how you're adapting your entire company and business to the action that's going on right now. Yeah, great question. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, something everyone is having to sort of adapt to. Um, so internally, um, obviously, we're, we're, we're all remote and dealing with sort of the challenge of working remotely that, that everyone's dealing with. Um, fortunately for us, um, you know, we're an early stage startup. Everything's more or less, you know, in the cloud and, and virtual. And so it hasn't been a, a disruptive uh, change to the business. Um, but has sort of made it more challenging to continue to build our culture, which is super important to us. Um, we're a very diverse team. We're, you know, we, we really are sort of have a big emphasis on culture in the company. And so this has made, this has presented a new challenge in terms of building culture when everyone's 100% remote indefinitely. Um, uh, and then externally, um, it is not hyperbole to say that home cooking has never been bigger um, in our lifetimes. And so we feel a great responsibility in making sure um, we are uh, not only taking care of our, our teammates and, uh, and coworkers, but also our community at large and giving them content and giving them inspiration uh, and products that can be helpful in this difficult time. We've, 
um, we've donated a significant amount um, for how early a stage of startup we are. We've donated over 100,000 meals to Feeding America. Um, and that's just our small way of giving back. Um, we've closely partnered with our supply chain to also make sure that they're sort of um, doing okay. And, and uh, part of this has been... Um, you know, constant communication and feedback and, and our supply chain is really, really sort of core and integral to who we are as a company because we do things that are sort of out of the box. We uh, are, are, we're the only kitchenware company um, in the last 50 years that's been able to figure out how to do it, its entire packaging, um, 100% plastic free. Um, oh, wow. And that, that hadn't happened until we did it a year ago. Uh, and so those are the things that require really deep supply chain partnership um, and expertise and really working really closely with our factory partners. And we've been fortunate to have some great ones. And just quickly, I'm curious about how your direct-to-consumer website is doing versus um, – I'm not sure if you're at any other retailers or are there other – We're not. Got it. We're we're entirely on our on our own website at, wow. at fromourplace.com um, is the entirety of the business. So Sal is being very diplomatic here, but if you listen to other episodes, Sal and I have very <laughs> strong feelings about D2C brands. You and I spoke about this once before. Um, yep. You guys, though, have been performing exceptionally well for a D2C brand um, through all of this. And I'm curious to hear how you guys have been growing so quickly. Yeah, I think that um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to me uh, how sort of maligned the DTC world has gotten. Um, it's got sort of a bad rap in, in the last, really in the last year, I'd say. And a big part of this, um, I think, is justified because a lot of these startups um, simply raise too much capital. And a part of the reason they raise too much mm-hmm. capital is because they relied on a metric um, called LTV, long, uh, long-term customer value. And we uh, simply don't believe in that as a metric because the metric sort of implies something insidious. And what it implies is that you'll eventually make money from this customer. Um, and that key, to key us is exactly the key with operative word being eventually. And that's a dangerous metric to build a business off of and, and call me old school, but you know, I believe in building a capital efficient business that offers good products at a fair price. And uh, we've done that. And so this notion of sort of delaying um, what is financially responsible um, because uh, the metrics around LTV show promise um, works uh, until it doesn't, right? And so all these startups raised a ton of capital and every time they you know, spent that capital pursuing uh, something that would actually stick and work, um, they'd run out of capital and they'd go raise more. And again, that works until it doesn't. And then the sort of house of cards implodes. And so it was it, from day first of our place, it was our belief that um, we're going to build a strong foundational business that's, that is um, sort of old school business principles. We're not going to raise a crazy amount of money. Um, and we're just going to bring in really smart partners uh, and colleagues and, and uh, uh, coworkers that are going to help us build a really lasting business and a really lasting brand. Your business is making money? Sal, have you ever heard of that? <laughs> no, no, no. This is, it's, it's a novel I, concept. I don't know. It's, I know. it's a crazy concept. Oh my God. Business it's that's actually making concept, money in yeah. 2020. <laughs> 
right. I, honestly, I wish more. I wish more uh, CPG and direct consumer companies and brands felt like that. You know, it's interesting. I think um, this notion that that sort of D to C has sort of run its course is is kind of comical to me because we're just still like the whole D to C movement is what six years old. I mean, we're just in the first inning of this thing. There's <laughs> massive multi-billion-dollar industries that haven't yet even been addressed, and uh, and so it cannot be. I will not accept this notion that uh, DDC is already saturated. Like, no, it's not. It's just the first thing. Um, but I think a lot of people haven't approached it in the most thoughtful way, um, and that has given sort of the industry at large. Uh, sort of a bad rap, and um, we're looking to change that. Wow, that's very well said. I didn't even think. I mean, actually, the thought wasn't even on my mind, bro. Really, you're right. Only six years into this whole DTC movement, and every movement um, has had ups and downs. So, if this is DTC's short term down, then you 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 you're so right. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot more upside here. Yeah. One of our favorite things is getting proven wrong. And you are showing us a D2C company that could actually crush it and grow. And for that, you should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. I, <laughs> I, thank you. I think this is, um, to be clear, I think this is a tie that will raise a lot of votes. And I always say it is better to be lucky than good. Uh, and listen, there are a lot of um, e commerce companies that aren't um, fortunate enough to be in a category that is still relevant post-corona. And that is sheer luck. There's no skill involved in, in being in that category. And we're fortunate to be in a category that is even more relevant today than it was pre-COVID. And, um, and again, that's just um, sheer luck. And so we, we do not take that for granted. Um, and I'll say that what's, what's more interesting to me, though, is uh, the there was there's been a lot written about um, sort of the, the demise of retail and the disruptive nature of uh, of e-commerce, but the reality had been until now um, that was mostly overblown. Um, the vast majority of retail was still happening in physical stores. Something like eighty two percent was still happening in physical stores until now. And I think we're going to look back on this moment a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, as the true tipping point for all things e-commerce. Um, because uh, obviously physical stores are closed, uh, so a lot of people simply have to shop online. But moreover, you have this entire demographic of Americans, uh, namely the baby boomers. It's 80 million Americans. Okay, this is not small potatoes. And they largely weren't online. I mean, if you take away email, they're basically not online at all. I mean, they're sort of begrudgingly online through email and maybe a couple other things. But by and large, they're, they're not engaging in commerce online. And now they're being forced to. And all the studies, and there was a study I read, uh, I believe it was from McKinsey a few months back, that was following a cohort of boomers where uh, they had a local bank branch um, closed for remodeling and renovations. And now this uh, these folks had to do their banking online, which I would argue, by the way, is the highest bar of any e-commerce activity is banking. 
online banking. <laughs> and they realized, hey, like, this isn't so scary. This isn't intimidating. Why, why didn't I do this sooner? Like, this is so easy. This is so convenient. This is saving me so much time. Maybe it's even saving them money. And the, the sort of conclusion and a hummum, the study, is when that branch lo- location reopens 45 or 60 days later, they never go back to the old way of doing things. It is a permanent behavior change. It is a permanent habit change because it is simply a better way of doing things. It's more efficient. It is more convenient. And so now you extrapolate that study's finding for online banking to e-commerce at large. And you realize, wow, you've got these 80 million Americans who largely weren't for any D2C brand part of their target cohort. Now, fair game. And that has basically never happened um, before. Um, And so that is going to accelerate both the rise of e-commerce and the demise of physical retail um, in the way that people have forecasted, but again, was sort of overblown again until now. Now it's not overblown. Now it's actually coming to fruition. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Crazy. Incredible. Yeah. All right. Amir, thank you so much for calling in, man. And we would love this was to catch up again soon. Yeah. Robert, Saul, thank you guys so much and appreciate, for, appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Take care. All right. That was Casual Calls. Next, we're going to do a Zoom with Josh Bonotal, VP of Operations at Future Fit. But we're going to hear from a word from our sponsors. It's not a word from our sponsors as much as us giving you guys words about our sponsors. It's something about our sponsors. Whatever, there's going to be an ad after this. Okay, we are back with Casual Poor. We are zooming in with Josh Bonatal, the VP of Operations at Future. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Awesome to be on. What are you drinking? On this uh, so I got a rye whiskey neat. It's a little uh, Sonoma Distilling Company. So I actually haven't had this one, uh, but just picked it up over the weekend. So giving it a try. Is it a repeater? Are you gonna do? You gonna go for it again? Or uh, you know, I normally like to switch it up a bit. So I've been. Uh, I had some bourbon right before this. Switched over to rye. I think I'm gonna. The next one might be going back to some Japanese whiskey. Nice out oh, Japanese. Yeah, that oh me and Robert drink that all the time on the show. So, oh for real? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do the uh Suntory. I don't know if you I don't know if you know that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I know the Suntory. And the best part about zooming is like Josh, if you're listening on your phone, Josh it, I, I see is behind some beautiful trees. It's a gorgeous day. Mm-hmm. Um in SF and in on the northeast it's uh it's pretty ugly. So uh, <laughs> it's good that the good that one person is, you know. Living in the night in the in the nice weather, yeah. Right? Quarantining yep, yep, in the nice yep, weather. Yep. Yep. So I, I really I, I want to start. I want to hear. You know, we 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 introduced you a little bit at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Give us, um, you know, just a little bit about Future Fit, Future, what what the company does, and uh, you know, what the mission is. There's kind of a massive problem that exists in our country. Um, of you know, seventy percent of our country is people are obese or overweight, seven out of every 10 people. And when you look at it, it's, it's not that people don't know to work out and be physically active and eat better and all these sorts of things. It's every year they continue to try, and especially as it relates to working out, 
um, you know, millions of people every year start a new workout plan. And within a couple months, 80% of them are no longer working out. So all of these things, you know, Peloton, all these different gyms, Barry's Bootcamp, you know, all these different things that exist, um, nothing has ever worked. And so I think for us as a company, where we started was who is the small subset of the population um, who's kind of solved this problem? And when you look at it from that standpoint, um, I think, you know, your attention, the first place it goes is professional athletes. And then beyond that, um, really not just even millionaires, but billionaires. And when you look at these people, um, who have all the available resources and want to be healthy, you know, and active, they're very, very successful with it. And really the root of it is they're able to outsource every aspect of their health and wellness. And so, you know, for us, we thought where, you know, what, what could have the largest impact to start? And so we thought, well, what if we actually pair you with a coach? You know, so someone who is incredibly knowledgeable about training and building workout plans. But then out of that, you really sort of by default start to understand the other elements of, you know, nutrition and sleep and stress management and all these other things. So if we start there, whereas, you know, a professional athlete, a billionaire actually has a constellation of people around them. They have, you know, their strength coach, personal trainer, um, nutritionist, chef, physical, all of these pieces. What if we just start by pairing you with a coach? Um, and so that's kind of how we start a future is through this digital platform, through our app, we actually pair you one-to-one with a real person. Um, so you start out, you have a FaceTime call mm. with this coach. They're all very high level. You know, they've trained college and professional athletes, celebrities, you know, on and on, master's degrees, all these things. Um, but they actually take the time to get to know you, get to know about your life, um, you know, all the challenges that you face, the equipment you have, and then they're building workouts for you on a weekly basis, sometimes even adjusting those workouts within the week based on what you have going on, if you're traveling, any of those sorts of things. Um, but bigger than that, and unlike any other, you know, fitness technology out there, they're literally in your life every single day. So this this person, your coach, is, wow. is checking in with you every day. They're sending you texts. They're sending you videos, pictures. Um, and what we find, which has been really, really cool, is you know, our clients actually really reciprocate that as well. So you know, the relationships that our coaches are building with their clients is one where you know, even clients are just checking in with their coach to share a picture or a video of their kids from over the weekend. I think that was the thing for us when we set out was, what is the differentiator here? Because there's all these amazing avenues to get great workouts, but we believed it was it was that human relationship, and so we really spend a lot of time there um, to you know once this person is paired with your life, how are we intentionally you know tapping into and building that relationship so this this coach they're they're taking the time to get to know you to be able to really support you when you need it keep you accountable and keep you on track and i think that's ultimately the difference is you know something like a peloton if you stop working out it's not like someone's reaching out to you to to check and see right. you know, how are you doing and let's come up with a solution to keep you on track so that actually brings me 
pretty neatly into where I wanted to, when one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. So Peloton shares are up something like 60% in like the last month alone, last month and a half alone. It's kind of like become the new, you know, let's call it the new standard for work from home or the stock market mm-hmm. pick for, you know, which, I mean, who is the workout from home winner right now? Um, when you look at, you know, companies like Peloton, companies like mm-hmm. Mirror, companies like Tonal, mm-hmm. where do these guys fit in? This feels like an at-home gym. You're an at-home trainer. I understand, mm-hmm. you know, the difference there fundamentally, but long-term, where do you see these guys starting to fit in? Is this going to be consolidated one day? What is this market going to look like? Eventually, somebody's going to figure that out to put, you know, all of these pieces together. Um, where you know it's 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 not just um, kind of the the home gym, the coach, the uh, mental health, physical therapy, nutrition, but beyond nutrition, actually like putting it down right in front of you, not just you know, hey, here's what to buy at the store and and how to make it and all these sorts of things. But again, going back to thinking about a pro athlete or a billionaire, um, you know, they have a chef who's actually setting this down down right in front of them. So, right. you know, I think, I think it's, it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when, and, and it's sort of a race, um, to kind of be the first one to put all those pieces together. So I think, you know, Peloton has obviously done a really, really good job of putting together content, you know, and now you see they're starting to expand into other areas from, you know, starting with the bike to now they have their treadmill. Now they have the streaming content, which is obviously super handy right now with everyone stuck at home and they're offering that for free. But I think ultimately, you know, all of that is still going, and we've seen this, it's still going to continue to fall short without a person kind of there with you um, to guide you through that process. I think, you know, Tonal has obviously built some incredible technology um, with the way that, you know, the, um, it's a magnetic resistance built into that cable machine that allows them to do, um, you, you know, you're, you're able to do some workouts with resistance in, in ways that was never possible before. But again, it's still, it's not personal. It's very much content. And I think, you know, Peloton, the, the thing that they're doing really well beyond just the content is they're bringing that community element to it, you know? And so I think, I think that's mm-hmm. a huge piece is like, how can, and it's something that we're thinking about as well with future is, you know, how can we take that next step of, you know, having the personalization, but then adding the um, social element or that community element, which I think even that much further strengthens us, strengthens it. Um, and I think for us, it's, you know, the, the approach that we've taken, which I think you've seen Peloton being a more established, older company, and, and they've kind of been very methodical throughout, you know, the years with everything they've built, is for us, we have to earn the right to get to that point where community becomes relevant, where you know, we can actually begin to ladder up into other areas of your health. And I think for us, that's kind of the vision is once we really truly build out the high touch, intimate, personal element of things, 
you know, to then start to ladder up into other aspects of your health from nutrition to mental health, physical therapy, um, you know, sleep and stress management all the way out to, you know, one day your doctor actually being Mm. part of our platform. And now we have built this constellation of people around you, supporting you, working together to, you know, kind of set the path for you. So you don't know this about me. Saul knows about me. You don't know this about me. Uh, growing up, I was really fat. I was, um, <laughs> I was, um, I was what some would call a fatty McFat fuck. I was, um, <laughs> nice. and it's good, to, it's good to be open and honest about yeah. it, you know? And, um, I lost a lot of weight in high school, uh, because, you know, I had a trainer twice a week and I was working mm-hmm. out between that and they were super on top of me. Not only were they, you know, texting me and helping me make sure that I was eating properly, that I was working out regularly, that I was doing the regimen that they had, you know, put together for me, but they were even like correcting my form, right? Mm-hmm. When I was back in there with him, he was fixing my posture. They were yeah. doing other things, right? That helped me even to this day when I work out, you know, maintain those skills. Mm-hmm. Is that replicable online, right? Is that something that you can bring online? Is that something you can scale? You know, I think, I think one piece of that is really from a training and programming perspective, um, really understanding progressions and regressions at a very high level, um, kind of knowing where to appropriately start people. And, and this is something that, you know, even, even with an elite athlete, um, if it's the first time I've ever worked with this person, even an elite athlete, I'm going to start them, you know, in that first week and and even first couple of weeks um, with a lot of foundational basic movement patterns and stuff like that. So I think being being digital, not being there in person with you as you're training, it's something that we have to be that much more intentional about. For us, we when you sign up, we send you an Apple Watch if you don't have it. And so obviously there's, you know, all types of accelerometers and, you know, different technology in that Apple Watch that we can start to tap into um, to be able to identify, you know, and, and give some feedback mechanisms around technique. Now we're very early in the process there, but one of the things we're already able to start to build out from it is, um, you know, being able to we're in the early phases of um, being able to deliver actual rep counting. So for whatever exercise you're doing, just by the movements on the watch, even something like a pull-up, which you would think, um, you know, your wrist is fixed, so it wouldn't be able to track that. But there's just enough wiggle in your wrist um, that our engineers have actually built out the technology and machine learning around being able to count every rep that... So if you have pull-ups, and you're going through in the app doing the workout, it's actually counting each rep of pull-ups that you're doing. And what's really fascinating is if you do anything else, like you know, before the set, you're shaking your arm around or whatever, it's not counting any of that. It's only counting once you go into the pull-up. So the That's next so cool. kind of you know, step one of it is first, can we identify you know, um, each exercise and what is a rep? And then the next step of that, which, you know, we're working towards is what's a good rep, what's a bad rep, so that now we can give some of that real-time feedback just through the app where it's, you know, hey, maybe, you know, you're using too much weight, you're not using enough weight, you're, 
um, you know, you're, you're swinging your arm forward too much on say a curl, um, things like that, I think will be possible. Um, in the meantime, right now, I think it's the, just how high touch it is with our coaches is they're able to do a lot of, you know, video analysis where a, a, a client may send a video of a more complex movement and the coach is able to kind of talk them, you know, talk them through that. I, I want to go back for a second. I know you were in pro sports for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just give us a little bit of background on that, but I really want to know, cause you dealt with athletes, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, I guess this is a lesson for everyone that's trying to get motivated in general, not just in the gym. Yeah. It, it is a gym question, but how did you motivate them in the gym? Next rep, keep going. Push. Yeah. What, are those, what are those mechanisms that you've learned over your years to just, you know, what, what are the right things to mm-hmm. say for the guy to go for that extra rep? <laughs> and then, and then it just in general, in the business world, like what's that thing that you can tell people that just like, you know, push them forward. You yeah. yeah my yeah. older brother did, and you could pinch my stomach and see, you see, you're fat. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely, definitely motivated me to yeah. do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 This is like, you're uh, definitely get you. Robert, you're really, um, you're really opening up here. And I think the audience is, the audience really, <laughs> I love it. The, uh, the openness. Hey, hey, I had, you know, I had my fat phase in, in middle school too. Kind of <laughs> what led me down. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot is, uh, collecting and connecting dots. Um, and so I think it's, you know, in doing that, what you're kind of doing, getting into like some human psychology and, and sort of like evolutionary biology a little bit is, you're trying to form a tribe with this other person. So what are all the sort of, you know, shared connections that we have? So, you know, me and Rob have the shared connection of being fat kids in middle school. I can tap into that or I can tap into, you know, where maybe where we're from or, or where we went to school or there's a number of different things, our favorite movie, you know. And, and so I think one of the things, and, and that's one of the things that we do at Future with our coaches is, you know, people, when you have conversation, when you ask questions, um, they're constantly giving you these little dots and pieces of information. And if you're paying attention, you can collect those things. Now you got to kind of store those um, and, and later try to connect those dots. The better you're able to kind of collect and connect those dots, I think the, the more impactful you can be in really motivating someone because now you've formed this tribe with them. You've kind of built this trust. And I think it allows you at times, um, you know, at times you may need to give somebody some tough love. And because you've built this connection and built this trust, you're a little better able to do that. One thing that's interesting when you look at pro athletes versus kind of the rest of the population is I think oftentimes you see with pro athletes, they have to experience failure in order to change their behavior. Whereas with a lot of the rest of the population, they have to experience success to change their behavior. So a lot of times with pro athletes, you kind of set the stage for them, but it's not until they kind of try and do it their own way and they fail that they're willing to then kind of come back to you and say, hey, Maybe you were right. Maybe let's try your approach. Um, but oftentimes I find with, you know, kind of the rest of the population, they, they, especially when it comes to working out, 
they've not been successful before. And so you have to build on these little successes because they're going to be very quick to kind of beat themselves up, you know? So you got to find, you know, even, even if they are struggling, still find the silver lining and what are the small wins that we can kind of build off of um, to, to make that behavioral change. You are VP of operations mm-hmm. at Future. You were not one of the first, you know, one to two people on this team, but mm-hmm. you were one of the very first people almost at the yep. your inception, right? As mm-hmm. they were getting going. You kind of fit interestingly into, you know, where I think a lot of people don't realize you can be inside of a startup. Which mm-hmm. is, you know, I think a lot of people have this assumption of I am either the CEO or I am the employee. But yep. you're yep. bringing a lot of vision to future. Yeah. But at the same time, you're working directly with, you know, the founding visionary of the company. Yep. Yep. And so, can you tell me a little bit more about that balance that you have to strike as both someone who's a leader inside of the company who's been mm-hmm. there since the beginning, you know, but also has to match their vision and balance their vision with the vision of the CEO? Yeah. No, it's a it's a really interesting question, you know, and I think it's it's something like really you're you're constantly working on honestly on almost a daily basis and especially the nature of a company like ours is you know it's every sometimes it feels like 3 months but certainly every 6 months we're becoming an entirely new company so the approach that we may have taken 6 months ago the vision that we had all these things are are changing so rapidly the um you know skills that you know, are, are valuable to provide all these things change your, your role changes, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think starting out coming in, it was jumping into such a whole new world for me, you know, so it was kind of like getting up to speed as quickly as I could with, with just this world. And, um, even, you know, I remember early on being in our, you know, weekly business review meetings is me and, my two other co-founder, our CEO and our CTO, and even the, just they're talking like business or OKRs. I've been a strength coach my whole life. I'm like, I kind of know what an OKR is, but you know, I I really have no idea. So it was like, how can I go and read is, and talk to other people? And what is OKR? <laughs> objective and key result. You know, that was one of the ways where kind of monthly and quarterly um, we're you know setting our objectives by which. We're able to, you know, measure how effective we are, what we want to get done in this month or this quarter and how effective we are in, in doing that. I think, you know, early on when I came in, um, there were eight of us all together and I was brought in to kind of be the, the fourth pillar of, of our company and sort of oversee, you know, and build out the um, core product of, you know, the, the coach and delivery of workouts and things like that. So I think it was for me intimidating at times, you know, being in those business review meetings, because I have my CEO who is literally a rocket. He's an astrophysicist by trade. Yeah. I read that for NASA. He's worked for Google. He Hmm. started and sold companies of his own. He was, you know, in venture himself, our CTO built the, uh, it was one of the 20 people that built the first ever iPhone, you know, and then there's me who's oh, wow. worked in basketball, <laughs> basically <laughs> like a glorified meathead, you know? Um, and so just 
starting to get comfortable where, you know, I think there's, there's times when you can be in those meetings and you're blinded or, or you're hesitant to speak up at times because, you know, again, it's like, this guy's literally an astrophysicist. Like so how he do you must know more than me. How do you deal with that? It can be, it can be intimidating at times, you know, just the, the business savvy that they have. And, and I'm kind of, you know, outside of my normal arena. And so it's, it's finding that balance where it's like, you know, the, the reason why I was brought on is because I do have expertise and knowledge in an area that they don't. Well, how do you, uh, I, I want to even go further. I'm, I want to just understand your thought process there. It's like, listen, I could keep doing what I'm great at, you know, yeah. or I could jump in, bring my expertise into something new yeah, uh, and see what happens there. Why don't you just stick with what you were doing before? <laughs> yeah. So I've always been so driven to like gr- constantly grow and, and learn and get better and be challenged. And I think the one thing that you know, I could never live with myself with is if I allow myself to kind of just get comfortable um, because I know at some point, you know, you're, you're going to look back and you're going to say, what if, like, what if I just took that chance, you know, and maybe I fall flat on my face. That's fine. At least I know. And even in going to future, the thing that, you know, everyone advising me was telling me was they were like, you know, first off, you need to do this, but you need to do this with the expectation that one year from when you start, this thing will fail. Not, not maybe, not it could, 100% it will fail. Either right. you run out of money or you hate it or whatever. Um, and with that in mind, you absolutely have to do that, do this. And it was, you know, for all of those reasons that I listed before. And I think that was one of the things like, you know, making that leap, one of the things people don't necessarily talk about is it's really hard. And you're going to go through some of the lowest lows, you know, of your life, like, because you left something that was familiar, that was comfortable. Um, but I think if you, if you just kind of let yourself be comfortable, you're going to be very limited in, you know, what you do in life and what you accomplish. Um, and so for me, just kind of like, this continual path for kind of leveling up. Um, you know, I think it was, it was crazy when I started to learn about the opportunity with future, it was like, man, maybe I set my sights too, too low on being a GM because this is something that when we're successful, we could literally change the world, you know, with preventive (laughs) healthcare. And it's just like, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And I think that's the thing for me, that's always motivated me. And then out of that, having a platform, to help really great people around me aspire and kind of reach bigger than maybe what they thought possible for themselves. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. I love the idea of start this with the expectation that you're going to fall flat mm-hmm. on your face. And if you can do it still <laughs> yeah. fucking fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Well said, well said too. I'm yeah. a thousand percent in on that, but you have kind of done the opposite of that. Right. You guys raised like a three million dollar seed, eight and a half million dollar seed. Mm-hmm. And then you and I caught up recently. And mm-hmm. you were telling me that over the past month and a half or so, future has just exploded into mm-hmm. acquisition and growth. Mm-hmm. So first off, tell me, I mean, I think a big part of that has to do obviously with more people spending time at home. But yeah. Oh yeah. Tell me about that explosion, what that feels like under the hood, what it feels like to 
to get it right. Yeah. You- yeah. It's, um, man, you know, I think, I think again, you just like, you never get comfortable. And what you find is at every stage along the process, you sort of earn the right to do more. You sort of level up and it actually only just becomes harder. You know, being in the position to experience the growth that we have recently has probably come out of, you know, also a lot of, you know, several, several failures as well. You know, it's like um, one of the things that, that we've really spent a lot of time on you know, probably over the last six plus months, um, you know, it, which is something as we also get ready to go into another financing round is really operationalizing our process. So I think we had, you know, sort of gotten to the point where, you know, we're, we're getting all this feedback from clients and, and customers talking about how this thing has literally changed their lives. Um, but then you're starting to see that in uneven distributions at times, because also, we're growing very quickly on the coach side, you know? So, um, right. and, and then we were growing very quickly early on with customers. And so you start to find all the things that kind of break all the things that you didn't think about. And I think that's, what's allowed us to now be successful in this time is, um, you know, setting the systems and structures in place to be able to consistently deliver this experience. Because I think what we've found is, is we know when we deliver kind of on our playbook and, and the way that we train and onboard kind of our coaches, um, that we give you this amazing experience as, as a client. And so I think right now for us has been, you know, and obviously we could have never planned for it, but sort of been the perfect storm of like, we've gone through the failures of, you know, launching last May publicly growing, you know, I think we, we tripled our customer base almost overnight when we launched publicly. And as you can imagine, a bunch of things kind of, you know, broke all at once because you're not ready to grow that quickly. Um, but going back to the drawing board and figuring out why some of these things went wrong, setting the structure in place. Um, in, and now you, you, we live in a world where everyone's at home and we have this massive opportunity to help a lot of people. Um, and it, it, I think it was just the perfect storm of, you know, we were right at the time where we've now built these, these sort of guardrails much stronger. Um, and, you know, growth is very much the, the priority now. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a pretty kind of crazy, crazy ride to hear. Yeah, I mean, I love what you're saying on that. I, I I always tell that to founders and to people who are get who are you know mm-hmm. are pining for a promotion, is you never run out of problems. You just make room for better <laughs> problems. And That's true. Yeah. And ninety five percent of the reason that you're put in that position in the first place is because that position demands someone solve these problems. Yeah, exactly. So you're there because you could solve those mm-hmm, problems. You're mm-hmm. not there. You're not there because there are no problems. Exactly. And that, I mean, and that's one of the things that we we talk about all the time and, and I talk to our team about a lot is, you know, if, if someone had already solved these problems, we would not exist, you know? And it's like, that's, that's the reason why we're here is to kind of figure these things out. Exactly. Exactly. Love it. All right. All right. Final question. Yep. 
Josh, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests this final question, and that is this. Is entrepreneurship born or made? Um, and you cannot say both. I think in general, because especially because you cannot say both, um, my mindset with everything is, is it's made. You know, I think, I think uh, people talk about this question too a lot with, with like leadership as well. Um, you know, is that born or made? Um, and, and I think it's, it's made, it's made out of kind of the experiences that you have throughout your life. You know, I think, especially when you dive into some of the science on it and and psychology and, you know, all these sorts of things, um, you start to realize like, you know, how much even just early experiences, um, and also like who the, who and what the influences are and have been in your life. I think are, are so impactful to it. Um, so, you know, I think I'm definitely going to say made because I, I think it's also something where it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what stage in your life you are, what stage in your career, any of these sorts of things. Um, you can, you can always change, like, like, you know, I, I may have been scared to, uh, you know, go pursue an idea or, or build a company or whatever. And it's kind of never too late to just go and do that thing. You know, I think, um, if, if you don't think that way, um, you know, I think, I think you're just, you're stuck, you know, (laughs) if, if if you think it's boys, it's getting into a a fixed mindset and now you don't have control and, and is, you know, what's, what's the point in that, you know? kind of believe in that, that you can't impact this and, and change it. So well said, very well said. Awesome. Robert, anything else? That is it for me, Josh, from one former fatty to another. Thank you so <laughs> much for coming on to the line. Yes, sir. I'm glad we got that out into the world. Um, yeah, you Josh, have to. Josh, going back to what you said earlier, you know, just to get people to work hard, you got to remember that thing that pushed you. There you go. And I would just put exactly. that, put this, Robert's exactly. going to put this episode on every time he's looking at that Oreo. <laughs> exactly. Or Twinkie or whatever it is. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Um, you know, you're welcome back whenever, you know, call it. Appreciate in. that. Yeah. Another interview always, you know. Likewise. No, I, I really appreciate it. And man, I, I love what you guys are doing. And, and I think everything you guys are accomplishing, you know, already is such a huge inspiration. I'm, I'm definitely very excited to continue to follow you know your guys journey and, and be a part of that wow you blush you make me yeah blush. i'm Thank getting i'm getting emotional <laughs> all right thanks josh we'll be right back after For this sure. all right and that was josh bonital VP of Operations at Future Fit. Super incredible company. Super cool guy. Really excited about where they go from here. Yeah, that was um, just really interesting. You know what I love the most? One, his his, uh, whole thoughts on, all of his thoughts on motivating people and keeping people pushing, 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 pushing to get to the next level. I thought what he had to say on that was super interesting. And then what Future's doing, like they don't only want to focus on, you know, getting fit physically, but mentally as well, eventually. 
and creating this whole platform for just staying healthy. If they can pull it off, I, it's it could be it could be a company just as big as Facebook and Amazon and all these big huge companies. I definitely agree. I think once they own the idea of like I use this app to communicate with people who make me healthier in one way or another, one on one, that could be anything, right? That could be a fitness trainer to make sure you don't get fat. So you're getting kind of heavy. I'm not um, getting, I am not getting heavy. Hold on. You Let's get put that on tried. the table. <laughs> you know me for uh, 18 years. Have I ever, have I, I've, I've been too skinny. My doctor prescribed me Hagen does a couple of years ago. Okay. <laughs> but what I was saying is like, look, they can have a fitness trainer. Yeah. They could also have dietitians. Like you were saying, they could even have mental health there. They could basically do whatever it is that they want to once they have your attention and they have you coming back to them for your health. Genius company, incredible, incredible founding team and really, really love Josh. Um, definitely excited to have him back. But with that, we are going to wrap up Casual Pour for this week. Yes. Big, big thanks to all our call-ins, to our guests, to Evan Parnes, who created the cover art, to Daniel Lerner, who created our theme song, theme music, as Rob likes to call it. Well, yeah, same thing. Go on. Same thing. Anyway, follow us on Twitter at Casual Poor, on Instagram at Casual Poor Pod, on our TikTok, which will probably never launch, but we talk about at the end of every episode, <laughs> at hopefully Casual Poor or Casual Poor Pod. And type in Casual Poor on Facebook. Yeah. And, and as and always, do not forget to like, subscribe, follow, comment, share it with your friends, share it with your family. Share it with people you don't like, but think that they, they didn't like it. If they didn't like the person, why would they tell them to listen to our show? Yeah, that's true. Don't, if you don't like them, we don't want to hear from them. Yeah. 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 Fuck those guys. Yeah. That's how we take care of our fans, you know? Yeah. All right. See you guys next Tuesday. Cheers. <laughs>